there's a certain group of people on the team who get great feedback and there's a certain group that gets crummy feedback. You just kind of assume my boss is bad at feedback, right? This isn't their skill. Um, and yet the data reveals that you can have a manager that gives more actionable, more helpful coaching to the men on the team than that manager gives to the women on the team. Welcome to On Her Terms, a podcast that helps women nurture their unique personal power and channel it into creating a life that is truly their own. I'm your host, Krati Mehra. I have got a really, really interesting and a very important conversation for you today. You're going to learn some very unexpected things, I think. I know I did. In today's episode, I'm talking to Therese Houston, and what we are discussing is gender bias and feedback. Now, I don't know what reaction you had when you read the episode title. Maybe you were already aware of this being an issue. The fact that there are managers out there who give different quality of feedback to men as compared to women. I honestly didn't know that this was an issue. But thanks to Therese, I've been able to correct that gap in my knowledge. And based on some of the discussions I've seen online, some of the comments I've since read uh, on YouTube, on Reddit, not only is biased feedback an issue, it's one that negatively impacts performance, causes anxiety, and leads to women not showing up as they should, and worst of all, feeling inadequate and judged because of the way the feedback is delivered. This is really very concerning. And the fact that I didn't know that this can actually be an issue makes me wonder if there are other women out there who are just as unaware and they may be getting bad and effective feedback and they're either believing that that is what they deserve or they don't realize that their manager is capable of giving good feedback, but there is bias, most probably unconscious bias, creeping in when they are being given feedback. And that there are, in fact, a lot of things you can do to correct this and sort of said effective, helpful feedback. So I'm, I'm really glad that we are diving into this topic today. And our guest expert for this episode, Therese Houston, was incredibly generous with all of her knowledge. Therese is a cognitive scientist at Seattle University and the author of three books. Her latest book is Let's Talk, Make Effective Feedback Your Superpower, a highly recommended read. In 2004, Therese founded the Center for Excellence in Teaching and Learning at Seattle University. Her last book, How Women Decide, was named a summer reading title by Oprah.com and called Required Reading on Wall Street by the New York Times. Therese has written for many publications, including the New York Times, The Guardian, and Harvard Business Review. And in today's episode, Therese shares with us a lot of her learnings around the subject of gender bias and feedback what she has learned from research and from talking to women who have, in fact, faced this challenge. Why is this happening? What can we do to solicit better feedback without having to initiate unpleasant confrontations? And does this bias also show up when projects are being assigned? What can managers do to correct this? And as and when we get critical feedback, how do we receive it in a way that serves us? So I hope you're ready because this is honestly one of those episodes where you may want to take notes. <laughs> it was a very fascinating conversation and there's a lot here for us to learn. So let's dive in. Thank you so much, Therese, for doing this and for being a part of the show. You're so welcome. It's a real treat to be here, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad we get a chance to talk about feedback. Can we please begin by, because I've read your previous work, and you are so amazing at what you do. So I really want to ask you why you chose to focus on, a, on all of these topics, and uh, especially, like, I can't help but ask, uh, what brought your attention to women in workforce, making them more effective? I've been really fortunate. I, I, I'm, I work in education, and that's a place where there are plenty of women. But a lot of my consulting is with tech companies and investment banking firms, which are very male-dominated. And what's, what's clear from the stories that I hear from so many women in those industries is that sometimes they're the only women in the room, or if they're not the only woman in the room, they might be the only woman in the room under 30, right? Uh, and that there are real challenges that they're facing. Uh, they might be the first female that female employee that their manager has ever had. Um, I've, I've heard those kinds of stories. 
and their concerns that they might be treated differently, that they might their ideas might not be taken as seriously. And, you know, it's one thing to have those anecdotes and those fears, and it's another thing to look at the data and realize, oh, those fears are, and concerns are pretty justified. And so I'm, and I'm very data-driven, so I, I'm someone who really wanted to look at what does the data say, and then I wanted to interview women as well as men about their experiences. And so it's led me to write two, two books that I'm very proud of, the previous book, How Women Decide, and then my most recent book, Let's Talk, which is a book about how to give feedback so the other person doesn't crumple. But a main focus of that book is looking at, at gender bias and, and actually racial bias as well. But the, the, there's more data on gender bias, so I'm particularly interested in that. Yeah, it, well, it's such an interesting topic. Like I, you know, when I started exploring your latest book and what it was all about, I, re I honestly didn't, it didn't occur to me that there could be such a thing as bias entering your feedback. Like when you're giving, I think maybe I've been fortunate in, that I've never really experienced um, discrimination or, or prejudice of that nature. But, or if I have, I have never really noticed it. <laughs> but but uh, this was so interesting to me because I've also been uh, reading the YouTube comments and uh, reading the reactions of people and uh, the reviews that your book is getting. And clearly this was something that I completely missed. So yeah, it is something so relevant. Can you share something about what it was like creating this book? What started this interest, like this particular topic? What made you pick this topic up? What made me pick this topic up? I was doing, I was giving talks related to my last book around gender and decision making. And one of the topics that would come up in the Q&A after a talk would be questions about how to get better coaching from one's manager. And these were almost always, they were, these were largely women that were coming up afterwards. And they would often be asking one-on-one -on -one, and they would say, you know, Therese, you know, I know you talk about decision-making. Um, I need to be making a decision about my career. I'm, you know, I, I don't get very good coaching or very good feedback from my manager. And, you know, what could I do to solicit without looking needy, right? There would be this concern. I'm going to look really needy if I ask for more feedback. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I was primarily speaking to female audiences, so there weren't many men in the room, but I began to wonder, is there a gender difference here? Are, are women getting crummy feedback compared to men? And once I asked that question, I, I turned to the data. There wasn't a lot of data back at the time. This was back in 2016, but there was some research out of Stanford's Clayman Institute for Gender Studies, and they were beginning to find, looking at actual performance reviews, people's written files, that yes, men were getting better feedback. And there's since been a fair amount of research demonstrating that that's the case. So the initial concern came out of this interesting pattern of, of women saying, I'm trying to decide, should I pivot? Maybe, you know, maybe I'm not as good at my job as I, as I think I am, but I don't, I don't feel like I can go to my boss and say, tell me how good I am. Right. <laughs> right? Um, so it was this, this interesting combination of are women not getting great feedback and how can I empower women to get the kind of feedback they need? But this is such a big deal because you realize I have like in when I was in uh, the corporate world and I I relied massively. I, I'm a very blunt person. So if my boss would ever give me a, a project that didn't seem so good, I would just right away ask, why are you giving this to me? Am I is it because I'm lacking in some skill or something? But not everybody can do that. Most people are. I've never really been afraid of losing my job. So I think yeah. that's why I could always <laughs> I could always pull that kind of shit at work. <laughs> well, or maybe you shouldn't call it bullshit, but it was just how I I was, yes. how this is just the kind of person I am. But not everybody's like that. People are are scared of losing their job. People are jeopardizing the kind of projects they get, uh, post that uh, interaction. So this is such a huge deal, the fact that there can be a difference in the kind of feedback that's given to you based on your gender. Well, and I think, you know, an interesting thing there is if your boss, your manager is bad at giving feedback, I think the common assumption is your manager's just bad at giving feedback. You're not thinking, well, yeah. someone else on the team might be getting better feedback than I am. I mean, there might be someone on the team who you can see is your manager's favorite, you know, the, your, your manager's pet, yeah, right? Sure. You can sometimes see that kind of favoritism. But you would you wouldn't you don't expect that there's a certain group of people on the team who get great feedback and there's a certain group that gets crummy feedback. You just kind of assume my boss is bad at feedback, right? This isn't this isn't their skill. Um, and yet the data reveals that you can have a manager that gives 
more actionable, more helpful coaching to the men on the team than that manager gives to the women on the team. Um, or likewise, gives better, more actionable feedback to the white people on the team and gives less actionable feedback to the black people on the team or the Latinx on the team. So um, I, I, I think most of us would be unaware of it. We would just assume, you know, this isn't my manager's fault. Yeah. Yeah. So do you think, do they do it deliberately or is this unconscious? I'm pretty sure it's unconscious. Uh, I, at least I want to give people the benefit of the doubt. I think what we've got here is unconscious bias, which, you know, you're probably very familiar with. I'm sure lots of people who are listening have had to go to unconscious bias training. But just for as a refresher, unconscious bias is the way I like to think of it is you're leaning towards some people and you're leaning away from others. So you are... And it can often, your unconscious biases can often contradict your conscious beliefs. So you might have a belief, for instance, that men and women are equally good at leading. And yet you, have an un you might have an unconscious bias that men make better leaders. And the way, you know, the, the ex example I like to give is let's say you're at a party. There's lots of people you don't know, but you see your manager talking to two people. So you go over to your manager to say hello. And your manager says, Oh, I'm so glad you came over here. I wanted to introduce you to Jamie Allen, our new VP of sales. And you extend your hand to the man and say, good to meet you, Jamie. And your, your manager's immediately embarrassed. like, no, 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 she's Jamie, <laughs> right? And you, you didn't even realize that you made the assumption that, Jamie, that the VP of sales would have to be a guy. And you're, you're mortified. Your manager's mortified. Hopefully, Jamie laughs it off. But this is often how it reveals itself that we'll make some assumption that, you know, the person who's going to be buying groceries is going to be the female in the couple or just just little things that we associate women with household, men with work. They're little um, unconscious biases that where we might make slip ups. And the point being that this can then uh, raise itself in the feedback that we give people um, unconsciously. We're giving men better feedback. Yeah, this is this is. Um... It's, it's so interesting to know, but working on the assumption, there are other women like myself who are not really aware of this happening. And as you said, they're just probably assuming that this manager is just bad at giving feedback. So perhaps right. to help them, can we discuss like, what does this look like? The way it shows up so that we, we actually are aware of it. How does it differ? How does the feedback differ when it's given to men and when it's given to women? So in my research, I find four key patterns. Um, and so you can look for these in the feedback that you receive. So the first, first way that we see a gender difference in feedback is frequency. Uh, men receive more frequent feedback. So there was a 2020 study done in the United Kingdom. I haven't seen this data in the U.S. yet. But there was a 2020 study done in the United Kingdom, over 2,000 employees. And what they found was that men received more frequent fee feedback from everyone in the organization. I'll give one example. So they were asking people how often, who receives feedback once a week from their manager. And 43% of the men surveyed said they receive feedback at least once a week from their direct manager, whereas only 29% of women said they receive feedback once a week from their direct manager. And you saw similar patterns from you know, the people who report to you, your peers, the basic pattern was men were almost consistently 13 to 15% higher were receiving feedback once a week compared to women. Now you might be thinking, Teresa, I would love to receive feedback once a week. Uh, and here's the interesting thing is, you know, not all men are receiving it. It's not even close to 100%, but, but men. And so if you're one of those people who's going a while without feedback, uh, this is something to be aware of. So frequency is one. The, other pillar where men receive more frequent or, or receive better feedback is on the specificity. So the pattern is such that men tend to receive more specific feedback, whereas women will see, receive vague, vague feedback. And they receive both vague praise and vague criticism. So the vague praise, and I hear this often from people, the vague praise is often like, just keep doing what you're doing. It's great. <laughs> no complaints, right? And you're like, oh, I don't want to keep yeah. doing what I'm doing. <laughs> um, I don't know if you've ever received that feedback. But men receive it too. It's just yeah. women are more likely to receive it. And then the criticisms are also more specific for men. So 
the feedback that a woman might get would be something like, okay, so you need to show more initiative. Okay. Okay. That yeah. seems specific. Okay. You get back to your desk and you're like, how do I show more initiative? Whereas men, the data shows in their performance reviews are more likely to receive the feedback. You need to show more initiative when a potential client doesn't get back to you. That's so yep. much more actionable, yep. right? Yep. You know, the context, you can now imagine like, okay, I need some strategies for following up with clients who don't get back to me. Whereas the woman who's trying to figure out where do I show more initiative? Is it in team meetings? Is it on yeah. volunteering for projects, right? She's just, she's like, yeah. she's spinning, yeah. <laughs> right? Or is the guy who gets that feedback knows exactly when to when to dial up his, his initiative. Do these, do these examples make sense? Yeah, yeah, of course. So frequency, specificity, specificity, did I, did I pronounce it correctly? Specificity, yeah. you're in, yes, you <laughs> Okay, yeah, that makes so much sense. And you need specific feedback <laughs> otherwise you, you it could be a 60 minute long feedback session and you have nothing to actually work with exactly this is so yeah this is again this is so fascinating why as you said like you said you want to give most of these people who are doing this or the managers who are giving this kind of feedback the benefit of doubt and believe that you know they're not being deliberate about it there's no malice behind what they're doing but if they are, why is this happening? Because you would think that if we are working, it's not like you discriminate based on projects. At least I've never seen it happen in the companies that I've worked with. I mean, you get projects and there are men working on it, there are women working on it. So then how do you tell apart people based on their performance? And if you can't tell them apart based on their performance, then why is there this bias showing up in feedback? Mm. Why is the feedback being given in such different ways? You raise a really good point. On some projects, you don't know where the, the boundaries are between one person's contribution and another, right? So yeah, on those projects, you don't, you see less bias because you're, it's hard to disentangle who did what. But in terms of why this is happening, um, I have two hypotheses based on um, research I've done. So the first hypothesis uh, has to do with data showing that we think men have more potential than women. So there's great research showing that if, if we're told that a guy has high potential, he's a high potential performer, then we're really interested in him. Um, he doesn't, he doesn't, we don't have to see a, a long track record. Just the fact that someone has flagged him as having high potential, we, we wanna offer him coaching, we offer him more advice because we see him as someone like he's going somewhere, he's worth my time to invest in. Whereas the data shows that for women who are labeled as high potential, people, then say, prove it to me, show me what she's done, right? So this is really yeah. fascinating. Yeah. Whereas men were willing to take it on someone else's word that someone has high potential. For women, we want proof. Okay, you're saying she has high potential as a leader. What leadership skills have she demonstrated so far? And so if we're in the waiting mode for women, if we're in the prove it again mode, which is how Joan Williams refers to it, she's at UC you see California Hastings, I love her language. She says, you know, there's a prove it again bias against women, where we make women prove themselves again and again and again. Anyway, if you're waiting for women to prove themselves, you're less likely to offer them coaching because you, you're, you're not as convinced that they have the potential as the men do. So I think that's that's one element of it, this idea that we, we see men as having more potential, so we're quicker to offer them advice because we see it as worth our time. And the second reason I think we see, for instance, men getting more detailed criticism compared to women is there's a phenomenon in the social sciences called protective hesitation. I love this phrase, protective hesitation. So the idea with protective hesitation is it's already hard to give people critical feedback, right? That's already hard in, in, for most of us. Yeah. However, if you have to give critical feedback across racial lines or gender lines to someone of a different race or gender, all of a sudden it becomes much harder because you're afraid the other person's going to take it the wrong way, that they're going to take it as you're sexist or you're someone who doesn't believe that women can do this work or that she should be spending more time with her family or whatever, right? But um, I think this leads managers, especially male managers, but but women as well to hold back on their critical feedback for women when they're concerned that they're going to be misunderstood and possibly be reported to HR or just be like, you're going to see me as someone who's not on your side. Whereas they believe that men won't take it that way. 
that it's going to be okay to be to you know to, to tell it like it is whereas there's a sugar coating that goes on for women that like oh she might get upset there might be tears okay. I, uh, yeah. you know and and so few women cry in the face of harsh feedback but managers will expect it and they'll so they instead of saying you know here's what you need to do differently they'll be like you know you're great you know um yeah your work is just fine and, <laughs> and they're like tell me tell me <laughs> hey, I'll be better six months from now than I am today. Yeah, yeah, I get that. And I, I was getting angry just <laughs> hearing you describe it to me that, that we men do that, but they do do that. I remember uh, one of my, uh, I had a, a yearly review or some some uh, three monthly quarterly review or something like that. And my manager actually took me uh, downstairs to the cafeteria and we like had like a very long walk and he was talking to me and he was making sure that I'm okay. And I'm just like, relax, I'm fine. I like, he, maybe he thought I was expecting a promotion uh, in the, to get promoted and I didn't. And he was just like trying to make sure that I'm okay. And I was just like, I am fine, dude. I'm fine. <laughs> Give it to me. Give it to me today. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, where you were. yeah. because well, I, but this, yeah, but what ahead. you just said, Okay, uh, I'm going to try and explain this as best as I can, because what this brings to my mind is that when I didn't get promoted, I just assumed that clearly I haven't performed as I should have to be eligible for that promotion. I always believe that I would not. This wouldn't cross my mind that this guy didn't promote me because he doesn't think I have the gumption or the guts for it, because that is just so not who I am. But now it makes me wonder if. Like, as you said, this there's this unconscious bias and we just believe that women are going to fall apart when they're criticized. They're going to fall apart when they are when the going gets tough. So are they assuming these things and not just in feedback, but is that showing up in how they're making their decisions in their capacity as a manager? It could very well be. So it's hard to know. Um, one of the patterns I've heard from one company that I consulted with is there was a concern, you know, I can't reveal any of the details, but there was a concern that the stretch projects, the, 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 the projects that would kind of move someone up quickly in their career, right? Something that you're, you know, you're working, you're working beyond your pay grade, but that's going to help you jump a pay grade or two, right? When people were taking on stretch assignments or stretch projects, there was a real hesitation to give those projects to women as frequently as men, because there'd be this like, well, I know she's got two little kids at home. Is she going to be able to pull the the all nighters that this project would require? And so they think they think they're doing a good thing, right? They think they're helping out this employee by not giving her the stretch project. Let her decide, right? <laughs> like, yeah, give, yeah. You know, find out is this is this a time when she can handle a stretch project? Is this something she wants? Maybe this is a, you know, regardless of what she's got going on at home, this is where she feels fulfilled. And this is the point in her career where she wants to do a little bit of leapfrogging. Um, so, you know, that would be advice I would give for those managers who find themselves thinking, Patrice, I'm trying to do the right thing. Uh, and I want to be good to her. And I've heard her complain about her life at home before. Don't, don't make the assumption, just have the conversation. Yeah. Hey, I've got a stretch assignment coming up. Is this good timing for you? Or do you want me to consider you for the next one instead? And give her the, you know, and have you can have that same conversation with the men. I mean, in order to be equitable here, have that same conversation with the men on your team to say, hey, I've got a stretch assignment coming up. Is this good timing or not? And as opposed to, you know, unfortunately, all too often in a high paced environment, you're simply like deciding I want this to go to Brian or I want this to go to Elise. Right. You're not. Uh, checking in with people if if it's good timing or not, um, you know you're voluntolding as they like to say, right? <laughs> yeah. But to make a decision like that on those ideas, it's just it's condescending. It's it I is it is not okay. <laughs> it is so not okay. And I completely agree. It's not okay. And and what's tricky is when I when I can get managers to be candid about their thinking. They'll explain, Therese, you know, I'm I'm really trying to do the best managing that I can and I'm I'm trying to look out for her. But 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 what you have there is benevolent sexism, right? So there's yep, yep. there's there's hostile sexism where you're thinking uh, someone can't do the work or men are better at this than women. And then there's benevolent sexism where you're trying to protect someone from the harsh realities and stresses of the world. But that's yeah. also a kind of sexism. 
Yeah, what is this, a Jane Austen novel? (laughs) 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 Seriously? (laughs) Oh my God, I can't. Okay, so for the women listening to this episode and probably getting as outraged and angry as I'm getting, (laughs) how do they figure this out? This is just such a... How do you figure this out? Because you can't confront your manager. I mean, confrontations are anyways hard and confrontations in a workplace environment, they are just beyond difficult. So how they need to be very certain that they are being like, this is happening to them. Well, you know, you, you, the good news is that you can strive to change your manager's behavior without saying, I think you're being sexist, right? Because if you play the gender card, your manager will be now labeling you as someone who's, you know, uh, has a chip on her shoulder, someone who's really quick right. to label these issues as gender issues when that's not what's happening, or at least from the manager's perceptions, that's not what's yeah. happening. So what strategies can you use? So let's take the um, let's take the example of your manager says you're too aggressive, because that's one of the patterns around gender bias is that um, women are three times more likely to be told that they're too aggressive than men in their annual performance reviews. So, and I and I don't believe that's because there are a lot of aggro women in the workplace, <laughs> right? Women are more likely to be aggressive than men. Women are more likely to be told that be they're too told aggressive. That they're- yes. So, so this data is again from the Claimant Institute for Gender Studies at Stanford, and they found that when the phrase "you're too aggressive" or you know, you're a little too aggressive. When phrases like you're too aggressive appeared in people's performance reviews, 76% of the time it appeared in women's reviews and 24% of the time it appeared in men's reviews. So, and those two numbers add up to 100% because of their methodology. Basically, they went through all the performance reviews and they said, how often does this language used? And then now that we've got the pool of performance reviews where it's used, what percentage of those are women and what percentage are men? So you've got more three, women three times more likely to be told you're too aggressive. But does that mean women are being more aggressive? Probably not, right? There's there's lots of data indicating that men are more likely to show aggressive and socially inappropriate behaviors at work yeah. than women. And that may be similar to your experience. But but there can be, like, for instance, interruptions are a classic that's been well studied. Uh, when men interrupt in a meeting, it's taken as like, oh, okay. You know, Joshua's talking now, right? Joshua has, Joshua's passionate. Joshua has a point that he wants to make sure gets made right now, right? So it's, it's, an, it's, it's understood as a good thing on Joshua's part. Whereas uh, when uh, Kieran uh, interrupts, um, using Kieran as a female name, when Kieran interrupts, all of a sudden it's like, gosh, man, Kieran's just a little pushy, isn't she? <laughs> right? Ah, right? So we have yeah. these different, we have very different norms and ex- expectations around when it's okay to interrupt, that it's much more okay for men to interrupt. And when women interrupt, we see them as bossy or pushy or aggressive. So the reason I bring up this example is let's say your manager says, you know, I think you're I'm getting the feedback that you're too aggressive. Let's say your manager's blaming someone else, okay? There are people on the right. team who think you're too aggressive. Yeah. So rather than saying eh, sexist, right? Don't don't do that. Instead, a better way to handle that would be to say, I'm, "I I want to learn more. You know, if this is a problem, it's something I definitely want to address. So, what are the behaviors that lead people to think that I'm too aggressive? So get down to the behaviors, right? And now your manager says, "Well, you know, people say that you sometimes talk over them in meetings. You're like, okay, so that's that's helpful data." Yeah. But what I've observed is that's really common practice for everyone on the team, especially for the men on the team to interrupt. And I can think of, you know, a meeting this morning where Joshua interrupted and Brian talked over people like that's just how people get. That's the norm on the team is to speak up when you have an idea, regardless of who else is talking. So you can have a negotiation with your manager of who else does this and is this a norm? And if your manager says something like, well, no, you know, we, we need to make it so that people don't interrupt. We're like, great, let's have a conversation about that as a team, right? Um, so that you're asking, let's have the norm apply to everyone, not just yeah. to me, right? And another thing you could say to your manager, it, particularly if it's your manager saying, hey, I'm hearing this from other people on the team, is to say, okay, I certainly don't want people to see me as aggressive and bossy. 
how can we change this perception of me without me having to mute myself? Because I want to make sure my right. ideas get out there on the table so that your manager is now a partner in problem solving with you. I always love strategies where you bring your manager around to your side of the table to say, help me solve this together. Don't just put this in my court to figure out, but what would you do in my situation, right? How, how, what, would, what do you think would work? So those would be some strategies where you don't have to, you don't have to use any labels about someone being sexist. You don't have to, you don't have to say, eh, you need to go to a workshop on unconscious bias, but you can work with your manager to figure out what's really happening here is, you know, is, is this that we tolerate interruptions from certain people on the team more than others? Yeah, I love that. I love those two strategies. And they're so, I can see them being very effective. And I also like, I always feel like when the power shifts, you need to do something to take back your share of the power. And I can see that happening if you do these, either of these two things when you are getting feedback. Hey there, I hope you're enjoying the episode. I'm taking a quick break here to remind you to subscribe to On Her Terms. Subscribing means that you get the latest episode without fail delivered to you every week. And it helps me reach a wider audience. If you haven't already, please pick up your phone and subscribe now. Let me know that you appreciate the content I'm sharing. Thanks in advance. But I, I have to ask, how do we how do we make sure that what we are noticing is biased? That we are we make like we clear it in our own head that clearly the feedback I'm getting is not as it should be. I'm not getting very clear, very specific, frequent feedback. You know, I'm not sure that you could be 100% certain that it is biased. Yeah, um, of course. You know, you could you could ask some of the men on the team, can I see your performance reviews? But, but there's a good chance they're not going to be willing to share those, right? Um, you know, what you'd really want to do is compare your apples to their apples, so to speak. Um, but a lot of people aren't going to be comfortable doing that. Um, so that that's yeah. going to be weird. Um, so I'm not sure that you're going to be, you're going to have certainty that it is biased, but the strategies I've just listed are going to be helpful problem solving strategies, whether it's bias or not. Because when so, if someone just says you're too aggressive, like you can lose a lot of sleep over that and still not know how to solve it. Right. Yeah. So you, and particularly if it's something where they're, are acceptable communication patterns for men that aren't acceptable for women, you you want to figure out, you know, and that can be a thing that people feel deeply is like that it's really unfair. I'm the only woman on the team. And whenever I speak up, it's like, shh. <laughs> hey, come on. This, this is, and I'm not saying that happens for all women and certainly not all teams, but uh, given, given the data around how we, there's also data that women get much more feedback on their communication styles in general, that, you know, that they get feedback, that they're so energetic, um, that they're so helpful, that they, you know, they, it's all about their communication style. Whereas for men, they're being told what a great leader they are. Being told you're helpful is very different than being told you're a great leader, right? Yeah. Um, especially when you think about who's likely to get promoted, you're more likely to promote the person who's a great leader than you are the person who's really helpful, right? Yeah, I, I do see, I, I, I do um, like share in this. I have had experiences like that. Uh, I've seen other people, other women go through it as well. Because we, on the one hand, we say that we want women to be, uh, you know, relentless and women to be very like clear in their approach and to speak up. But when they do, I think we still, regardless of how open-minded we think we are and how not sexist we think we are, we're always taken aback when a woman is really, really bold and she's really, like, she doesn't, really doesn't filter herself very much. I think people are still taken aback and they don't really care for it. I have noticed that. <laughs> As someone who is super blunt, I, I do see that. Some men can roll with it. Some men are like, okay, so now I don't have to second guess you. And I love that about this dynamic. Right. But not right. most men, especially if they're really senior, they don't appreciate it. At least I've noticed that in India over here. Um, we're still like, there's still so much work to be done. You think you have your 10 steps forward, but then something happens and you realize, yeah, well, those 10 steps are really, really tiny, apparently. And <laughs> we clearly haven't made as much progress. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so you raise an interesting issue or an issue that comes up for me. And that is in, in my interviews with women who are executives, I, I have to tell you, I, 
every single woman, and I probably interviewed 12, 13 female executives, people who were in the C-suite, either they were the CEO or they were the, the, um, in, in charge of sales or marketing. In any case, all 12 or 13 of them said at some point in their career, they've been called, they've been labeled too aggressive. And what I take from that is if you're someone who rises to the top of your industry or rises to the top of your organization, there's a good chance that somewhere along the line, someone's going to label you as too aggressive. And so you might just take this as part of the armor that you need to build is I'm just going to have to accept that that's going to be one of the perceptions of me. Maybe not everyone's going to hold it, but some people are going to have it. And, you know, the one, the one CEO that I'm thinking of, she's a CEO of a tech company. The way she put it is when I hear that I'm too aggressive, I interpret that as she gets shit done, right? <laughs> uh, but she just took that as like, you know, I'm taking that as my little badge that I'm, 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 I'm getting, is getting a, an impressive amount of work done. And so it doesn't bother her. But if you're concerned that this label is going to, you want, you want to potentially discuss with your manager. So what's the impact? So some people think I'm too aggressive. Is that going to be a career limiter for me? Um, is that going to affect you? Are you going to then think differently, perhaps maybe give me different clients, different projects? Or your manager might be like, well, I just wanted to let you know that some people see you as too aggressive. I don't care. Like, fabulous. We're on the same page, right? So that can be another really useful conversation to have is, is this going to get in my way? Or is this just something that I should know about the, the one of the labels that's out there that only some people have and I don't need to worry about? Yeah, I thank you so much for saying that because as much as I hate that women are constantly seeking permission to be fully themselves, it is how it is. And so I really appreciate that you said that. So to my listeners, I hope they made a note of it that all of these women who are in such high uh, ranking positions were told at some point in the career that they are aggressive. But turns out it just means that you get shit done. And that's what you need to remember. <laughs> it, clearly, you have the makings to be on the top. So just, just, you know, change your perception around it. Because when you're told you're aggressive, it creates a kind of social awkwardness, because then suddenly the image that comes into your head is of this uh, angry, mean woman who is apparently, you know, creating a horrible environment for everyone else. And you don't want to be that person. Nobody wants to be that person. But apparently, it just means you're a boss. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's just, it's yeah. just, uh, it's code for your boss material. It's really <laughs> interesting. Um, I interviewed, I interviewed one leader at a nonprofit. Um, so uh, she was with a religious organization. She was a, one of the leaders in a religious organization, and her manager at her annual performance review let her know. Oh, let's let's pretend pretend her name is Mandy. She's your her boss, who happened to be male, said, "Look, Mandy, you know you're." You're really aggressive, and it's one of the things that I really like about you. And she said, whoa, 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 you need to know that the word aggressive has really negative connotations when it's used for women. And her manager was like, I don't think of it that way at all. And she's like, are you putting it in my performance review? He said, yes, I did. And she's like, okay, so please go back and change it because <laughs> if someone else sees that, they, they won't have the same benevolent interpretation of that word that you do. So that's also an interesting thing is that for some people, they mean that as a compliment. They see it as yeah. part of your secret sauce. Whereas you, you know, if you're focused on, uh, I, I want to make sure everyone sees me as a team player, maybe aggressive doesn't feel like team player language, at least not when it's applied to women, whereas it might be just fine when it's applied to men. So that's also something to find out if your boss uses that language, are you using it in a negative way? In her case, her manager meant it as an asset, but uh, she certainly, you know, certainly in the nonprofit world, she didn't see it that way. Yeah, I love that. Uh, and I think your strategy of really narrowing things down with your boss is I think very helpful, like asking them for what is it that I can do, I would, help shed a lot more light on that very generic statement that you're aggressive. What does that even mean? So, yeah, right. that, that's super and awesome. I think it's an important lesson, whatever the labels your manager happens to be using. So I'm sure we have people listening today that were thinking like, Teresa, I'd never be labeled aggressive, you know, but I have been labeled meek or I've been labeled 
um, someone who isn't curious enough or whatever it might be, right? Or someone who's not willing to work outside of their expertise, right? There's, you know, lots of different language that could be used about someone. Show curiosity, right? Show if someone says, uh, you know, I I want you to um, I want you to speak up more in meetings. Maybe it's the opposite of aggressive. Maybe they want you to speak up more. Like, okay, what are, what are the when are the situations when you'd like to hear my voice more often? When when do you find yourself thinking that? Right? Is it in brainstorming meetings? Is it in meetings when we're reviewing a product? What what is, when do you want to hear my voice more? So show curiosity. Don't assume. I think a common pattern for all of us, regardless of your gender, is that when you're supervisor gives you feedback, you think you need to go back to your desk and unpack it on your own. Um, showing curiosity and saying specifically, when when have you noticed this? Like what made you, what made you bring this up, right? Um, helping your manager get specific will help you change that behavior. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. That's really helpful, thank you. Uh, if you were to turn this around and I would love to know what managers can do and you also said that women do it too, like with female managers also experience such bias that they're not aware of actually, and it shows up in the feedback. So what managers, what can they do to make sure that this is not happening and that their feedback remains unbiased? So the first step I recommend all managers take is to to, to do, the, do the hard work of and it's hard because you might not like what you find. It's not hard because it takes a long time, but it might be uncomfortable. To, to do the uncomfortable task of looking at your written performance reviews, what feedback had you given your employees the last time you did performance reviews, when, whenever that was in your organization's calendar? And a really quick way to see if you showed the kind of bias, or one pattern of bias, is just the length of the feedback that you give the men and women on your team because men get more specific feedback, they tend to get longer feedback. So more words written about them. Whereas, you know, like I said, the example of, of for women, they're told you need to show more initiative. For men, they're told you need to show more initiative when a client doesn't get back to you. Already that's double the length for men, right? Yep. Yep. So that's a really quick eyeballing it way to find out, is this a problem for me? So as a manager, you can take a look at length. To dive a little deeper, you can take a look at the adjectives that you use, so particularly around praise. So women are, are likely to be praised as though they're like a mom. <laughs> so women tend to get praise about being enthusiastic and organized and helpful and compassionate. Those are words that appear, on the, according to the data, much more often in women's performance reviews, whereas men are likely to receive praise like your visionary, your analytical, your game changer. So, um, and when I when I list those, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being organized and helpful, but when you think about the adjectives that are used for women and you think about the adjectives that are used for men, who's likely to get promoted? You're way more likely to promote the visionary analytical game changer than you are to promote the person who's helpful, compassionate and organized, right? In most organizations, yeah. right? Yep. And so that's an, that's an, that's the next level to take it at. What what praise do you use for people? And then the third step would be. So those those are the two things to look for. And then in terms of the actions that you can take, you can make a promise to yourself. I'm going to make sure I coach everyone on my team on at least three skills uh, because men receive more coaching than women do. So in order to equalize that, just say I'm going to make sure I offer coaching at least on three different issues for everyone on my team. And you might have to dig harder for some people than others, but just make sure you're you're doing that uniformly, then you're gonna be equitable and you're not gonna show that kind of bias. Likewise, if you notice that you're giving men more detailed feedback, now you know, okay, great, I need to dig into the details for women um, and I'm not doing that. Yeah, that's amazing. That's I think that would really help. Um, and uh, for women, when they are, taking feedback, like they're receiving feedback, what can they do? I know it's a, it's such a challenging thing, especially when criticism comes your way. So what can we do to shore up our internal defenses so that we take the feedback in the most constructive possible way and make something of it? And so that we are also more open to receiving feedback and in fact, soliciting feedback. Yes. And I think a way to think about this is we don't want to take feedback too personally, right? We want to take it in a way where we can learn and grow and be open to it. Right. So 
There's great work from Francesca Gino at Harvard Business School where she's looked at this issue. And she found that there were two strategies that were really helpful and she found them especially helpful for women. So the first strategy is to assume that the other person has good intentions. And when you assume what she found in her research is that when the when women especially assumed that the other person giving the feedback had good intentions, they were more likely to ask those follow-up questions and show curiosity. Whereas if they assume that the person had negative intentions, which is very easy to do when someone gives you feedback you don't want to hear, when they assume negative intentions, they shut down. They just like, mm-hmm, okay. And they, <laughs> and they walked away without, without getting yeah. more information. Yeah. So number one is to assume positive intentions on the other person's part. The second thing is she found that it really helped if the mantra going through the head of the person receiving the unwelcome feedback, again, especially for women, was, what can I learn from this? What can I learn from this? What can I learn from this? And when they had that question of what can I learn from this going through their head, walking into a feedback conversation, they were much more likely to think that there was something helpful in what the person said, as opposed to just being defensive around it. So they were less likely to take it personally because they were able to look for the nugget. Maybe there wasn't a nugget initially, but because they asked some follow-up questions and they thought hard about it, they're like, okay, this is actually useful out of what they said. So those would be the two strategies. One, assume positive intent. And two, go in thinking, what can I learn from this? And that is simple language, but it can really help you get past a, a negative corner and into a more productive space. Yeah, I can see that because I think if you are assuming positive intent, I think that also helps you not get embarrassed because then it's yeah. not so much as criticism, it's this person trying to help you. So, yes. yeah. Such yeah. a good insight, right? And it can be hard because you know, the person giving you feedback may not be very good at at delivering it. So, you 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 know, it's a pain that you have to be the one that kind of helps them give you better feedback, but you can uh Take that approach of thinking. And so a strategy I also like to recommend if the person doesn't seem very good at giving feedback, um, let's say you're, you've got a manager who just says, you know, just keep doing what you're doing. You know, you're my least problematic employee. So I appreciate that about you. And I hear, I've heard people get that feedback. You're my least problematic employee. So a strategy I would say if you're getting that feedback, just keep doing what you're doing or it's just vague praise, go back to your manager with a list of three or four things you're willing to change. So you you generate the list of here are three or four things I'm willing to change and say to your manager, which of these is most important to you? So then the manager, you've now given the manager language to use around, I'd like to see you do more of X, right? And sometimes, and I, I've interviewed managers, they're like, I would love it if my employees did this. They, they would love it if their direct reports came to them with a list of possible changes because it shows you're really earnest in wanting to improve that you don't just want the praise, you really want the coaching. And your manager may very well say, actually, it's none of those four. Actually, if we're if we're being really candid, here's what I'd love to see you do. Right? Yeah. But it gives your manager permission to get over that protective hesitation. Like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna take this the wrong way. I'm really earnest about improving. Yeah, that's brilliant. <laughs> I can see that being really helpful. And Therese, uh, what resources would you recommend to my audience that they can consume or resources that you've created to learn more about all of this? I know there's the book. Uh, any other way they can get in touch with you, learn from you? Yeah, so you can, uh, the book is called Let's Talk, Make Effective Feedback Your Superpower. So that's that's one great resource. I've written a number of articles for Harvard Business Review. So if you if you search Therese Houston and um, you know Google me, you'll, you'll find various articles I've written. So if you want to take that approach, that works. And you can also look at my website, uh, TheresHouston.com, and uh, there's more information there. Okay, I'm going to share all of the links in the episode description. I have some of my, I have some of your articles bookmarked. Those are my favorites. So I'm going okay. <laughs> to share those as well. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. And uh, Therese, I always ask all of my, my guests about a time from their life when they felt powerless and out of confidence, out of faith, but they were required to bring their A game. What did they do to rally forward. So I want to ask you the same thing. If you can, if you care to share a time a moment from your life and that happened to you. It's such a good question. And for me, the time that immediately comes to mind, I was in graduate school. It was my first year in graduate school. I was um, working on my PhD and 
for the first time in my life, I was, I was really average and it was painful because in the past, my success was directly proportionate to my effort. So I might do mediocre performance, but I wasn't trying very hard. But when I tried hard, I would rise to the top. I would, I would have a huge amount of success. But in graduate school, no matter how hard I was working, I was very much an average student. So this was, and this was so debilitating. It made me think maybe I just don't belong here, right? Maybe this isn't for me. So uh, I, I was crushed. I really did my first year in graduate school, wondering maybe I should, maybe I should drop out. Thankfully, uh, three things helped me, and this off leads to some good advice. So the first thing is I talked with one of my college professors, one of my mentors, um, who wasn't part of the graduate program, but had been one of my undergraduate professors. I told him about this crisis that I was having, and he was he reframed the whole story for me. He's like, you know what? The fact that you're average there might mean that's exactly where you belong, as opposed to a place where you don't belong. You finally found your people, right? <laughs> you you finally met your match. And that was so helpful to be like, oh, maybe maybe instead of a sign that this is a bad fit, this is a sign this is a good fit. I've got people who can challenge me in ways I haven't been challenged before. So his reframing was really helpful. And it's it's a key piece of advice that I would offer for people when they when they feel a crisis of confidence, Find someone who's a mentor in your in your professional field that you highly respect and ask them, can you help me reframe the story I'm telling myself? There's actually research that shows that when women face a failure or a setback, for the women who go on to achieve even greater things, who bounce back from that failure or setback, that's one of the strategies that they use is they seek out advice from a trusted mentor in their profession. Whereas the women who simply talk with their you know, their spouses at home and they journal about it, you know, they, they might feel better, but they often don't overcome the setback. They often don't go on to achieve greater success. So having someone who you highly respect in your field, help the, asking them to help you reframe the narrative can make a huge difference in how you understand that setback. That's it for today's episode. So did you love it or did you love it? Thank you for joining me today and sharing your time. If you're eager for more, head on over to onhertermspot.com for show notes, guest information, downloads, and more. And if you want to be a part of the conversation, ask questions, and share your struggles with other powerful women, join my intimate community over on Facebook. The link will be in the episode description. Until next week, this has been another episode of On Her Terms Podcast.